Welcome to the Person and the Power podcast with Pastor Tim Johnson, as he invites us to cultivate a deep and profound relationship with the Holy Spirit of the living and loving God. After 25 years of ministry, Pastor Tim's desire is that all of us would experience both the Spirit's transformational intimacy and the supernatural activity in our daily lives. Now, here's Pastor Tim. So it's a story that's been told many times in many ways, but it has to be told, I think, on this particular day. It just has to be, right? So this particular day for you is different than this particular day for me. You, if you're listening to it, this podcast, on the day it is first out, it would be Friday, May the 12th. You may be listening to this May 30th, for all I know. But if you listen to it, when it comes out, it'll be May 12th on Friday. It is being recorded on May 10th. Significant date, critical date, huge date in my life. Many of you who have heard me share and preach my testimony before, you already know this. So I'm going to tell the story because I think it not only, I think I have to tell the story, right? It's May the 10th. So for those who know, you know. I've got to tell the story. It's May the 10th, guys. It also fits perfectly with the last part of Romans 7. The next few podcasts, we are going to jump into this incredible, deep, pure, crystal clear lake of refreshing, rejuvenating, supernatural water called Romans 8. But for today, May 10th, We end chapter 7 with the last few verses and with the story, okay? So May 10th of 1997, very different than May 10th of, well, today. May 10th of 1997, uh, there's a, give you a little bit of background first. I was married to Pam, seven years probably, married uh, six, seven years, two uh, small children, We've got three, blessed with three adult children now, and our son is married to an incredible woman, our daughter, her daughter, our daughter-in-law, been maybe five years, six years. We are truly blessed. But May 10th of 1997, and a few days before that, I was as Christian atheist as a Christian atheist could be. Now, that term wasn't around back then, probably. I think that's a relatively newer term, but the definition of a Christian atheist Someone who pretends and portrays to be a Christian, but has no relationship with Christ. (laughs) That's me. That's me, May 10th um, of 1997, and all the days before that. Now, I had been baptized as a 12-year-old, maybe 13-year-old confirmand in United Methodist Church in E-Town, Kentucky. I was baptized for two reasons, guys. A blonde and a brunette. Uh, or at least I attended confirmation class for those two reasons and, and subsequently was baptized for those two reasons. So that's, an, again, podcast for another day, I'm sure. But as I lived my life, I barely believed in the existence of a God, but I did not need God in my life, nor did I want Him. And so I was as far from God as I think you could possibly be. I was a newspaper editor at the Richmond Palladium Item. I was making, to be honest, Bugu's amount of money for that time. I was, uh, we were doing very well, well off. And again, 
on the surface, everything was pitch perfect. Beautiful wife, beautiful two small kids, beautiful house, beautiful job, lots of money. I even attended church on a relatively regular basis. I helped with communion. Yep. I read scripture. Yep. I was the liturgist in smaller uh, Methodist churches, at least that's what, and other denominations too. They Again, the liturgy, the written word, the spoken word, and the person who speaks those words, the liturgist. So I would get up there and read from scripture. And so, but I had no relationship with Christ, but I was a really good pretender. I was a really, really good pretender. And so the Sunday before this May 10th of 1997, when my misery turned into majesty. Now, I'm gonna give you a little bit of a warning. And my family, friends, and people who know me who might be listening to this, you know the tears will come already, <laughs> already welling up in my throat because um, of just such a powerful moment. May 10th, 1997 was in my life. But alas, let's, let's continue the story here before I, I lose it. So May the, the Sunday before, my pastor, Russ Patton, at Centerville United Methodist Church in Centerville, Indiana, came to me, again, relatively regular attender of the church, mainly because I just didn't want anyone to know that I wasn't a believer. How hypocritical. How crazy is that? And then God, in His incredible, prevenient grace, providence, love, and power, uses the very hypocrisy that I practiced to put me in a place where I would come to know the authentic God of the universe and then come to know and become the authentic Tim Johnson that he had created me to be. But that Sunday, my pastor, Russ Patton, asked me to go to Promise Keepers with him and four or five other men. Everything in me, and it was going to be that weekend, the following weekend, Friday and Saturday, that in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I didn't know... I couldn't say no, could I? I was, I mean, <laughs> that would blow my cover, right? I, I mean, I had built a really good, I had spun a really good web. I had built a really good facade and I couldn't blow my cover by saying no. So I had to go. I couldn't say no, had to go. And so I said, sure. Everything in me is like, ugh, like ugh, like seriously, there's no way. And throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, especially Thursday. Doggone it, I was coming down with something serious, like, like bubonic flu or um, swine plague or something. I don't know. I was going to make something up. I was going to maybe be in the hospital for uh, some kind of rare disease. Thursday, literally, I was going to lie my way out of this thing. I just, there's no way I wanted to spend a weekend with a bunch of Jesus freaks piled into a Jesus van, singing Jesus songs, going to a Jesus event. Ugh. So literally, I, I thought of everything I could imagine. I think I even remember at some point, I either called Russ, Pastor Russ, or talked to him in person and dropped a hint. I know I did something with my wife, like, I don't feel very good. Like Thursday night, I think... I think I have a fever, you know. So 
Friday comes and this, <laughs> this creeper van <laughs> pulls up in front of the house at, there in Centerville. And sure enough, four or five of my brothers, of my friends, of the men in the church get out. Uh, Jeff and Kevin and again, Russ. And they said, hey, come on in. And sure enough, that radio was cranked, cranked up high on all the Jesus songs one could muster. I just sat in the back. I remember uh, in the middle part of the van, just literally, what am I doing? <laughs> Why am I here? I wanted to literally jump out of a speeding van down the highway and just run back home. We get to Riverfront Stadium, old Riverfront Stadium, where the Reds played outside, you know, and, and this is where the men's event was going to be, held outside, you know, good, good tough men's event held outside regardless of weather. It was a beautiful night, I remember, but we walked forever up those stairs to the nosebleed sections. I mean, the, the, it was literally named nosebleed. No, it wasn't, but you know what I'm talking about. And these seats, who in the world crafted these seats? where even like folk who were you know, kind of slender, like were like their knees were in their chest and uh, you, you could like use the other person's head for a table tray while you're eating your nachos because that was how close you were. And your elbows were inside your rib cage because you couldn't put them out. You had to pull them in. Crazy tight. I just remember those tight seats and Russ, Pastor Russ was to the right of me and my brother, Mike, um, was to the left of me. And so we, uh, praise team comes up there, Maranatha praise team. If you want to bless yourself a little bit, again, for you old schoolers, check out the Maranatha praise team, Promise Keepers, 1997, 1998s, 1999s. Just check out, just check them out and YouTube it and just listen. It, again, it's old school, but it's anointed. It's dripping with the Holy Spirit. Praise team comes out and does their thing. Music was good. I mean, I'm a fan of music. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm mature enough at that point, faking enough to fake it well. I, I've learned, I've practiced the art of the craft of deception and forgery and fakery. So I was okay. And I don't know if I was lifting my hands or, you know, I certainly wasn't praising God. But could I fit the part? I sure could. So I'm sitting there and, after the praise team is wrapped up, Crawford Loretz, a pastor, I believe, at, in Atlanta, out of Atlanta, Georgia, um, comes up and verified. This is verified by 70. I got 70,000 witnesses, guys. You might even be listening. You might be one of them. But uh, I think Bill Henry, one of my dearest friends in the whole world, I think I did not know him at the time. I was going to know him. Just about a month or about a, I'm sorry, about eight months later, when I went into full time ministry and went to seminary and went to Mount Olivet, Kentucky, where I met one of the most precious men of God you'll ever meet, and that's Bill Henry. And we'll, uh, that's another podcast for another time. But he was there, didn't know it at the time, but found out later. So a lot of people, I, I say, I tell this story, and oh, I was there. And of course, we joke, you know, oh, yeah, I saw you across the stadium. We didn't know each other, but I saw you. So Crawford Loretz gets to the, the microphone. Verifiable moment here. This is There's empirical evidence here because a lot of people remember this moment. He gets up and he shares briefly, like a joke or a very, like a, 
supposedly a funny story. It wasn't, at least not to me. I sat, I remember listening to it. I don't remember what it had to do with, but I just remember kind of that nervous. And in fact, the stadium was kind of like, <laughs> yeah, that nervous laugh, like we better laugh because I think that was supposed to be funny. But he shared this story and, or a joke or something. And literally he steps back from the platform, just, just a small step back. And he waits. No praise team playing. No music in the background. He's not hemming and hawing and trying to fill the silence. He was wise enough and supernaturally led enough by the Spirit of God to allow the holy silence to do its work. He stepped back to the mic and he said, Gentlemen, I'm supposed to tell a few jokes or can maybe some funny stories, but I don't feel funny right now. Because there's a man here. That if he doesn't give his life to Christ tonight, he won't be here in a couple of weeks. I was really good at faking and I was really good at pretending and what no one knew those men sitting next to me my wife who lived with me no one knew that I had seriously contemplated suicide several times and even attempted a few times with a determination that in a couple of weeks I was going to finally do the deed, and I was going to end my misery. I was a miserable man sitting in that little seat, and that seat was not why I was miserable. I was miserable because I had, my life was so full of deceit and trying to strive and work, workaholism. I worked 18 hours a day at times. I never was happy. I felt the weight and the pressure of work. Most of that self-imposed. I, um, I was so far from God. I, I, I watched a wife who knew God and loved God. I, I, I heard messages from Pastor Russ that were convicting, but I was not able or willing to surrender which made the tension the, that horrible. We talked about tug of war last week, that tug of war in my spirit, so miserable. I was in misery because I had not given my life away to Christ. 
when Crawford Lorette said that, I, I literally, I still so vividly remember that moment. I, pardon, just quickly my language here. I thought, oh crap, because I thought someone had ratted me out. I thought my first thought was, how did he know? Who told him? No one knew this. No one knew this. No one knew this. And as he continued, he talked about a man whose marriage was in disarray. Pam and I were well on our way to something other than a blissful marriage. Thanks be to me and my rottenness and my, my just my, literally I hated my life. Making tons of money and yet I hated my life. He said this man is a workaholic and He's working himself to death for what? The approval of man that doesn't come or that is at best jaded and comes with the wind and goes with the wind? He went on and on. He does not enjoy his children. He's always angry. He doesn't sleep. I averaged about four hours of sleep a night because, you know, when an elephant sits on your chest with anxiety and panic attacks, you just can't sleep laying down. You, just, you can't lay down. You can't breathe. Crawford Lorette supernaturally by the power of a holy... The Holy Spirit described me. And he described my misery. My misery. I don't know how much of the sermon I heard because my ears were ringing with conviction. My tears were streaming hot down my cheek. Um, I didn't know rather to, whether to run or and hide or run and fall on my knees. Praise God, I, <laughs> I chose the latter. I think it was before, right before he was finished, I, I do remember um, I remember the praise team had just come back up, you know, for the response. And I don't remember much about that moment. My eyes were still blurry. And, and as, as, as foggy as I was in the moment, I was clear about one thing. My life had to change or my life was going to end. I made my way down the steps onto the field. I knelt. And one day before my 34th birthday, I was, it was the last day of my 33rd year, May the 10th of 1997, I was born again. I gave my life to the one who gave his life for me first. <laughs> the next day is my birthday and I turned 34. And I've never cried so much in my whole life that night, that day. 
And this crying was different than Friday night. Friday night was a crying of conviction and sorrow and misery. I was just so tired of being miserable. Saturday night, my poor brother, I don't think Mike, we shared a room. I don't think Mike got a single lick of sleep. I was, I was crying and talking and bouncing off the bed and crying and snotting like I am right now. And, and the next morning, I know I was, I felt like I was the first man in line for everything. And literally, like, while, while Charles Dickens' Scrooge is a novel, a fictional novel, it's a reality for a Christian whose life has changed, whose heart has changed, whose burden is lifted, whose sin is forgiven, and whose spirit, whose very nature has been changed from sin nature to saint nature. I don't remember when they sang the song Majesty. And I'm going to spare you from singing it. I'm tempted to. Oh, believe me, I'm tempted to belt it out. I tell people all the time, I'm, I'm not a singer, but I'm a singer. But the praise team. Led 70,000 men, full throttle, full throat, majesty, majesty. Worship his majesty. I tried my best to sing louder than all the 69,999 other men there. Because that's what happened, my friends. My misery turned into majesty. Before we turn our attention to Romans 8 next week, we end with Romans 7. Paul says, I have discovered this principle of life, verse 21, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And oh, pay attention to verse 24. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? There is your misery verse of the day. That is the misery verse in all of Romans. One of the top misery verses of all the Bible. Oh, what a miserable person I am. I do not believe Paul was talking about how other people saw him or his physical condition. I believe he was talking about the emotional, spiritual toll of understanding the power and the gravity of sin and wanting to be totally free of that. And for me, on May the 10th of 1997, I walked into Riverfront Stadium miserable. But praise be to God for verse 25, the mastery, the, the majesty verse. Thank God, verse 25, thank God, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the majesty verse from 
misery to majesty. That is the power of the gospel, friends. That's the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. That is the power of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That is the power of his resurrection power, stepping out of a tomb on Sunday morning. That is the power of Pentecost. That is the power. That's the hope of God's heart. That's the desire of God's heart. That is the longing of God's heart that every person would choose majesty over misery because there is an answer for your misery and that is in Jesus Christ alone. Thank you, friends, for bearing with my sniffing and my snotting. I am forever grateful that there is a way out of misery and that Jesus Christ invites us into his majesty. If you have not taken that offer yet, please do so. And if you have, take a moment, reflect, and thank God. Thank God. Thank God for it. Pastor Tim is the co-founder and teaching director of the Joshua Center, a leadership training ministry which provides deep biblical roots to great movements of God. He's also the senior pastor of Firmers Chapel, a country church by a creek, reaching 13 countries on four different continents for Jesus and his kingdom. Join us next time as we grow deeper in the person and the power.